Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. How many of you are here tonight? Uh, I'm doing this art, what I call an art series. And the first one in this series is the art of rest, then the art of communication, then the art of strategy, the art of continuing. Now, it's very apparent I can't do all of that here tonight, so I'm just going to deal with the first one, the art of rest. Say that out loud, the art of rest. Now, let me tell you what the art of anything is, the definition of art. Skill acquired by use, by experience, by study, and by observation. Listen to it again. The art. Skill acquired by use, experience, study, observation, or practice. So to develop the art of anything requires skill. And the skill comes from practice, it comes from use, it comes from experience, it comes from study. (laughs) Several years ago, I had a lesion on my forearm here, and um, I went to, um, I don't know what kind of doctor he was, he was a surgeon, apparently, and he was going to just remove that little lesion. It was on this side. And so he told me what he was going to do. He had an operating team that he had been working with for 23 years, and it was no big deal. He said, you just come in. He said, but I will have to use the operating room. Well, I'd never been in an operating room, and I was overwhelmed by the size of the thing. And then right in the middle of the operating uh, room there, there was a, uh, I guess you could call it a table, but it was, it was formed and shaped like a cross. And you, you laid on the middle of it, and they put both arms out like this. And, and uh, he asked me if I wanted to be put out. And I said, no, I don't want to be put out. I've never been put out. I said, just deaden it around where you're going to cut, you know. So, and so he did. And so uh, I'm laying there, and he's cutting this lesion out and sewing it back up together. And I could hear everything that he and his nurse and his surgical team were saying. And they were talking about the ball game that they watched last week. Uh, Then they got to talking about movies. And they got to talking about that Richard Speck, was it, that killed all those nurses, you know. And then they talked about axe murderers that they had seen. And I'm, I'm laying there. Now, they got this big spotlight in your face. My eyes were closed. And I'm laying on this cross. <laughs> and when he's done, he, you know, kind of tapped me and said, okay, we're done. And I said, you know, Doc, you might want to uh, kind of change your operation, <laughs> operandi here, because uh, I, I said, you know, if, if the person you're operating on wasn't a person of faith, I said, I'm a person of faith. I said, but what you all were talking about was kind of unsettling because um, I said, you know, I, I want to make sure that you're paying attention to what you're doing. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't want to hear a review of movies you've been watching or whatever. He laughed and he apologized. He said, I'm so sorry. He said, you're exactly right. But he said, now here's my point. We have been doing this surgery, this type of surgery, for 23 years as a team, and he said, we've done this so many times, we could do it in our sleep. I said, well, your patient needs to know that you're awake (laughs) and that you're, you know, concentrating on what you're doing. I said, because, you know, I was not asleep. He said, you know, we forgot that. He said, we really forgot that you were not asleep, that you were out. He said, because most of our patients are put out, 
And he said, we forgot that you were awake. I was, I was hearing everything they were saying. <laughs> and he said, but we have done this for 23 years, and we have the skill uh, to do this even in our sleep. Well, I appreciate their skill. Uh, I appreciate all of that, but I didn't, you know, want to hear about the ball game and all that kind of stuff. I wanted to know that they were concentrating on what they were doing. Amen. So the art of anything is a skill that is acquired by use, by experience, by study, by observation, or practice. Now, the reason I'm doing this uh, on the art of rest. Uh, a few weeks ago, I got a, a call, a message actually from uh, a minister friend of mine, a large minister, you'd know if I mentioned his name, and uh, he was requesting uh, prayer uh, from us because he was experiencing some problems with his heart. And uh, he had gone to the doctor and the doctor had given him a uh, not a good report. It was a kind of a bad report. It wasn't really bad, but it wasn't good either. And they said his heart's beating normally and uh, his arteries are okay, but he says he's got too much calcium around your heart and it's causing problems. I don't, I don't know that much about medicine and the heart and all that, but it, apparently it was a problem. And so they were going to put a stent in. And I was really concerned about this. So I... Uh, I got his phone number, I had his phone number, and I called him back, and I said, you know, I really want you to think about this, whether you have this surgery or not. I said, it might be a temporary fix or situation, but, you know, uh, I've heard of them failing, and they have collapsed, and you have to go back in and do whatever. I said, uh, I just want you to know that we'll be praying for you, and I want to encourage you to rest. He said, well, you know, that's what my board of directors said. That's what my wife said. That's what the doctor said. Said, you need to rest. <laughs> and he said, I don't know how to rest. I said, well, that's part of your problem. Yeah. You have to learn to rest. Now, I have been to his office. I've done TV with him. And I tell you what, you walk into his office, uh, there are manuscripts. He's a great writer and author and preacher, and he, he's got manuscripts this high on his desk. And he's got a studio full of uh, all kinds of illustrations, and it's just amazing. I mean, just being around him <laughs> makes me want to go take a nap. <laughs> Because he is so energetic and so moving, and he's always shaking and moving and doing something. And, and you know, you almost feel like, I may, may not be doing anything compared to what he's doing. He, he's got, um, what, what do they call it, a, type A, uh, very outgoing, very energetic, and mover and a shaker. And Ed Dufresne, a dear friend of mine, Ed and I used to have a standing joke. He would call me the tortoise, and he was the hare. The hare and the tortoise. How many of you remember that nursery rhyme, whatever? Because Ed was always moving, always building, always bouncing off the walls. You know, he was just like, and I just plodding along, just, you know. He'd call me the hare, and he, I mean the tortoise, and he was the hare. And so that's the way I felt around this guy, and I thought, you know, I, I know there's something not right here. And I told him, I said, you know, you need to rest. He said, well, I don't know how. And um, <laughs> I got tickled. I was listening to Joyce Meyer the other day on VTN on her program, and she was facing a similar situation, and the doctor told her that she had to rest. And she just looked at him and said, how do you do that? <laughs> this is the problem. She didn't know how. Neither did my friend. He didn't know how to rest. How do you rest? And this is kind of a plague that comes upon ministers because they're driven. They're, they're moving all the time. And um, I, some of them are in heaven today because they couldn't learn how to rest. Some of them have had heart attacks and heart surgeries and 
all kinds of problems because they don't know how to rest. Well, let me tell you right now, our uh, rest is an art. And it's a skill that you have to learn. Are y'all listening to me? Yes, sir. (laughs) Resting is an art. I'm not talking about being lazy. I'm not not referring to uh, inactivity. I was blessed. My family, uh, we came from a long line of nappers. I mean, Thanksgiving, Christmas, I mean, we all go over to Grandma's house, and after lunch, everybody disappears. And I'm thinking, where are they? They all found a bed, (laughs) and they're all out on the sleeping porch, and, you know, they have pallets for the kids. I mean, napping was part of our, (laughs) our family. So I just came by that naturally. You know, my grandfather was born in 1889 in uh, the Caldwell side of our family. My mother was French, and her family came from France. My daddy's family came from uh, England. And my grandfather, 1889, when he turned 65 and he retired from the post office, he sat down. He went home. He got up every morning, put on a starched white shirt and tie just to sit in the chair and read the newspaper. And that's what he did all day long, except after lunch. He pushed his recliner back and took a nap. (laughs) And he figured out, and he he got to where he couldn't get in and out of his recliner, so he bought one of these recliners. You push a button, and it pushes you out. (laughs) And then (laughs) he would learn when he lay his feet out there on that that recliner when it'd go up, his, his feet would go like this while he was sleeping. Well, that's not good. So he figured out a way. He got an old belt of his, and he made it circle the, the same size as his feet. And he got his cane, and when he'd get back in that recliner and his feet would start going out, he'd take that belt and that cane, and he'd loop it over his feet so his feet wouldn't go apart. I mean, this was a science that he, he developed. He could... He could patent this process. But he lived into his 90s. Grandmother lived into her 90s. Uh, My dad's oldest brother, my uncle, he lived to 103. I mean, long life runs in our family. And I think part of it is because they learned to rest. Uh, I'm I'm not talking about, you know, the Bible says if you sleep too much, you'll be poor. (laughs) You know, you'll, you'll drift over into poverty. So I'm not talking about being irresponsible or uh, not being active and fulfilling your assignment. But art is skill. You have to learn to do this. And I have friends, they've been on vacation with us, and while we're out there relaxing under a palm tree or something, they're, they're, they're down at the mall. They're shopping. They're doing whatever. I said, what's the matter with you? you can't, we came over here to rest. He said, they don't know how to rest. Buddy Harrison, who actually had 22 businesses that he had developed. One day we were laying out by the pool in Hawaii, and uh, I noticed that he, he, was, he, was, he was laying there, but he was like this. I said, what, buddy, what are you thinking about? He said, I'm thinking about how I can buy that building and turn it into this. I said, look, we're over here to rest. We're over here to uh, relax. He couldn't do it. Mentally, this is where it all starts. Mentally right here. So I'm going to help you tonight, I hope, Uh, but I've got too many uh, ministry friends that are facing uh, physical impairment uh, because they don't know how to rest. So I went ahead and ministered to my friend and told him I'd be praying for him, and I I suggested, he said, I can't cancel my meetings, I can't do, I've got to keep these uh, dates or whatever. I said, well, that's part of the problem. I said, you can reschedule them, and this is what he told me. Now listen, he said, if I am not out busy doing what God called me to do, I feel guilty. Did you hear it? Guilty. He said, I feel guilty if I'm not out there moving. And he can't sit still. He can't rest. He can't take a nap. He can't do because he is guilty in his mind. He feels like he is failing 
God. Well, I think you're going to see from the scriptures that guilt is not from God. God does not call you to do something because God himself rested. And Hebrews tells us we have to labor to enter into the rest. Are you all still here? Yes, sir. All right, let's go to uh, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. And, and if you have a problem in this area, uh, just sit still and smile. Don't squirm and just uh, nobody will know. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful. Say that, unskillful. unskillful. Is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, a baby, a spiritual baby, infant. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use, the marginal reference in, in uh, my Bible says, habitual use. This means they practice. They apply, and you're going to see in a minute, we'll come back to Hebrews, they apply their faith, and they do it on a regular basis, and they do it on purpose. Uh, I know sometimes you have problems resting. Some people have sleep problems. Some people have rest problems. And it's usually uh, to, their, uh, to their mind, their mental. Their, it's always moving. It's always going. Um, <laughs> Jeannie and I go to the same uh, doctor to have our annual physical every year. And... Uh, they always ask us the same question. In fact, we just did it a couple of weeks, uh, or a week ago. And we both, everything's normal and good, and we're in good health. And, but they always ask us the same question. And he asked me, he says, well, how do you sleep? I said, like a log. <laughs> I said, all I have to do is get horizontal, and I'm, I'm yeah. gone. And sometimes my mind, especially if you have, trying circumstances or tests or stress or whatever, sometimes your mind just don't shut off. It, it just keeps on going. So what do you do? And I'll deal with this a little bit later. I pray in tongues. I go to bed praying in the Spirit. I wake up praying in the Spirit. In fact, I've caught myself in the middle of the night while I was asleep waking up praying in the Spirit. If any thoughts of fear try to come against my mind or any hindrances to what uh, I'm doing or God's called me to do it, I have a little flip chart that I go through. I'll call it that. I start praying in the Spirit. And then Paul said in Philippians, he said, think on these things, yeah. things that are true, honest, trustworthy, virtue, praise, Think on these things. So I start thinking on these things. I start reciting uh, the Psalms and scriptures. And, um, you know, if, if it's fear, I go to First John. And perfect love casts out all fear. And I'm doing this while, you know, my mind or the devil or whatever is trying to keep me awake, trying to make me worry. And, I, and just in a few minutes, I'm back to sleep. So you have to learn the art of of rest because everybody's not the same we all have different metabolisms and you know i have friends that they tell me i mean they're they're doing great things for god and they tell me say well i don't need much sleep i only need three four hours of sleep a night you're cruising for a bruising because you need to sleep longer than that sleep and rest you're going to see is required in fact, it's part of the law that God gave Moses. God rested on the seventh day. He put it in the law in Exodus, and he required his people to rest on the seventh day. In fact, the Bible even goes further to say, if you don't rest, you're violating the law, and you're guilty of sin and disobedience. Ooh, that went over big, didn't it? Let's go to um, 
2 Timothy chapter 2. So maybe that'll help some of you if you know you're in sin and, and you're, you know, going to suffer as a result of it. <laughs> now you can, you can follow uh, Mike Huckabee and Larry Gatlin's example, and you can order a bottle of Relaxium, and uh, maybe that will help you. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't need it. Thank God I don't need stuff like that. I don't need any help. Uh, okay, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and let's look at verse 15. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, what did I say part of the definition of art is? It is study, observation, skill acquired by use, experience, study, observation. Watch these things. Observe. And find what the Scripture says. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 25 through 30. Yet suppose it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. Now this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Philippi. My brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to you my wants, uh, excuse me, ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because you had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death. Now this is serious. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, that I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him, therefore, the more carefully that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. Now listen to this. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life. Yeah. Yeah. Disobedience. He, his motivation was pure. He was doing what he was doing for the Lord. And I told my friend, I said, if you don't slow down and stop all this running around and cancel some of these meetings, you can reschedule. I said, you're going to wind up I didn't tell him he was going to die, but I told him, I said, you're going to um, increase your problem. And here it says, for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death. And, you know, I've, I've had friends tell me, well, there's a lost world out there, and I've got to get to it. Yeah, but you're not Jesus. You can't, you can't kill yourself running to get people saved. Jesus already did that. He already died. He took upon himself our sin. Uh, we're just supposed to be telling people about it. You can't save the world. I know there are ministries and doctrines that believe that uh, our job is to uh, save the world from going to hell, but you can't save the world from going to hell. I mean, that's Jesus said these things must come to pass. These are the beginning of sorrows. Uh, they're going to happen. Our job is to change people. Our job is to minister to people, to witness and love people. But he said, for the work of, of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life. See, God holds you responsible for that body you live in. He holds you responsible for taking care of your temple. Woo-hoo. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Okay, now let's go over to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, and let's look at what God said even about himself. And he set in motion, he was going to include this in the law of Moses that he gave to Moses, uh, so the people of God would uh, follow suit. Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. Underline the word finished. means completed. And all the host of them, and on the seventh day... God ended his work. 
which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. Now, he wasn't resting because he was tired. I, I do have a habit that I have overcome. I push myself. Uh, I don't care what it is. If that's ministry, if it was walking, if it was exercising, if it was cutting trees, if it was gardening, if it, whatever, I push myself. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I push myself until I just can't do it anymore. And I've had to learn uh, to sit down, to rest, to stop, to take a break. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take a break. I just keep on going till I was finished. Well, here it said God finished, and He rested. It didn't mean He was tired. It meant He was through. He rested. He he stopped, and He uh, rested. Okay. Uh, and verse three, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from his work, which God created and made. God rested from his work, and he blessed that day. Say, he blessed that day. He brought his work to completion. He brought it to fulfillment. Now go over to Exodus 20. Exodus 20. And let's look at verses 8 through 11. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Remember when the blue laws were in existence, when nothing could be opened on Sunday? That's the way we grew up. On Sunday, everything was closed. What, what were we doing? We were resting. We were observing. And today, that's gone. We're working... America is working seven days a week, 24 hours a day, shifts. I think I read somewhere years ago where there was a, there was a country that decided that they, they, were work, they would work their mules. This was back in the agricultural society. Where they're going to work their mules uh, seven days a week, every day, and not give them a, a day of rest. And the mules died. When you violate a law, when you violate something that God has instituted, you open yourself uh, to the devil. And part of this is pride. You know, you just think the world can't get along without you. Uh, churches can't grow. People can't get saved without you. There, there are uh, Muslims today that are getting saved without anybody preaching to them. Jesus is showing up and appearing to them. Angels are appearing to them. Okay, you know when God told us to build VTN, He told me I had to do this, but He said I want you also want you to know you were not my first choice. Uh, that kind of humbled me real quick. I said, "Well, what what number am I?" He said, "You're number seven. I said, "You mean you asked six people, six ministers to do this before me?" He said, "I sure did." I said, "What happened to them?" And He showed me how each one of them got off, and He said, "And if you don't do it," I'll get somebody else. In other words, you are not indispensable. Yes, sir. I'll get somebody else. Okay. Uh, in uh, Exodus 20, uh, verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, nor your cattle, the stranger that's within your gates, hmm. your slaves, whatever you want to call those people, servants. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and he rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. If you go down to... Um, uh, well, let's just stop there. He hallowed the seventh day. It's a holy day for you to rest. Now, Exodus 16, that's what I want to do. I want to back up to chapter 16. And let's go to verses 11 
through 30. Exodus 16, 11 through 30. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, I've heard the murmuring of the children of Israel, speak unto them, saying, At evening you'll eat flesh, in the morning you'll, eat, you'll be filled with bread, you'll know that I am the Lord your God. And it came to pass that even the quail came up and covered the camp. And it, today, uh, quail is a delicacy. And you have to find a store where you can get quail. Um, the quails came up, and the dew lay on, laid round about the host. And when the dew that was gone up, behold, on the face of the wilderness, there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoar frost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It's manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. <coughs> Excuse me. Gather of it every morning, according every man according to his eating, an omer for every man according to the number of persons in your household. Take ye every man... Uh, for them which are in his tents. And the children of Israel did so, and gathered some more, some less. And when they did measure it with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing left over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. And Moses said, Let no man leave of it until the morning, notwithstanding, but some of them left of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was wroth with them. They gathered it every morning, Every man according to his eating, and when the sun waxed not, it melted. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for one man. All the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And he said unto them, This is that which the Lord has said. Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which you will bake today, and see it that you will see it. And that which remaineth, uh, over lay up for you to be kept unto morning. And they laid it up till the morning as Moses bade, and it did not stink. Neither was there any worm therein. And Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Tomorrow, uh, today, you shall not find it in the field. Six days you'll gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. Now, they're still doing that in Israel today. Um, on uh, the Sabbath, which in Israel under the, uh, the law is uh, Saturday. On Saturday, and we've been there many times, on Saturday there is uh, there's no restaurants open. The, the hotels all program their elevators uh, to go up and down and stop on every floor. Uh, so you don't have to do any work. You don't have to even punch a button. And their hotels will cook the food on Friday, and it, it sits in the, how would I say, the buffet in a hotel uh, on Saturday, but it's all cold. There's no hot food because the Bible says don't kindle the fire on the Sabbath and do no servile work. So in Israel today... If you go in some of the kosher hotels, you're just going to ride and every door, every floor is going to open up so you don't have to push a button. And if you want to eat something, it's going to be a sandwich or a cold cut or something like that. You're not going to be able to eat uh, any hot food because there's nobody cooking. Hmm. It was almost like that during the pandemic here, wasn't it? (laughs) It wasn't because... uh, (laughs) They were observing the law. They weren't resting. They weren't following God's advice. They were just scared, and nobody would go out. And you know, the end of that story. Failure to rest is sin, and the reason that they got in trouble is because they wouldn't believe God. They wouldn't act on it with their faith, and they tried to store stuff up. I have uh, observed and and wondered about uh, my family, a lot of good traits, but there were a lot of bad traits, and it's because my grandfather and my father both went through the Great Depression. They saved everything. They didn't get rid of anything. 
My grandfather kept the sawdust that when he'd saw a board, he'd put the sawdust in a jar. I said, why do you do that? He said, well, you never know when you're going to need some sawdust. <laughs> he made his own furniture, and he used the sawdust and mixed it with glue and made dowels and stuck chair legs together and all that kind of stuff. My father was the same way. My grandfather, he, every car he owned, he took the license plate and put it on the, the barn door. I mean, you could, you could see the rise and the fall of the economy by just reading <laughs> those license plates. And, but they went through such shortage. They went through... Uh, such want. It was similar uh, to what happened during World War II, but for different reasons. Uh, we were building war machines, and we quit making refrigerators and started making tanks. And, uh, you know, the rash gasoline was rationed, and sugar was rationed, and uh, all kinds of things that we've suffered in hardships, but it was to, it was to finance and further the, uh, the war effort. But that Scarcity mentality came from my grandfather to my father to me. They transferred it from generation to generation, even though they didn't know what they were doing. And my daddy used to tell me all the time, you live beneath your means. What does that mean? He said, you don't ever spend uh, what you have. You save it. Um, my grandfather, you know, like a lot of people during the Depression, they didn't trust banks anymore. They hid it in a fruit jar in the backyard or under the mattress. And it was, it was a, a fear. It was fear-based. And, and yet you, you, poverty is cyclical. Yes, sir. It, we teach it to our kids, one generation after another generation after another generation. And so we wonder why we're having so much problems with the younger generation uh, with poverty. And uh, <clears throat> we learned that from our parents they did it unconsciously. They didn't know what they were doing. Uh, we ran out of milk. Mama would just take what milk was left. She'd run a, over to the hydrant and fill the milk jug half full with water. That was the original skim milk, you know. It was, <laughs> it was half water, and uh, it wasn't all milk. And, and we ate bologna. You know what bologna is? We... When Jeannie and I got married, we, boy, I'll tell you what, now she can cook bologna. I mean, and she even, when she put it in the skillet, she'd even slice one corner of it so it didn't curl up, you know. <laughs> and we, we did without. We, you know, we conserved. We, we thought we were doing the right thing. But we were learning something that was not good. And God was trying to teach the uh, his, his people, Israel, he was trying to teach them, you don't have to be afraid that you're not going to have food the next day. Yes, sir. With their crops, they, they were to rest the field. They were to rest the field and not plant every year. Uh, and we got that in our agricultural society today, crop rotation, etc. You don't plant the same crop in the same field every year, year after year after year. You deplete the minerals and you, you rotate the crops. I remember studying that in school. So they, God was trying to teach them, you don't have to, to store this up. You don't have to be afraid. You can rest. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Charles Capps was a dear friend of mine. Uh, we started in the ministry about the same time, teaching and traveled together. We hunted and fished together. And I, I noticed that Charles, when he would come back off of a meeting, I mean, he flew his own plane, he'd come back off of a meeting, and he had an airstrip behind his house and had a hangar. He'd just land on his own. It was cotton and soybean field, and he just made him a runway. And he'd just land. He'd pull his plane into the hangar, and he'd go get in his Jeep, and he'd go fishing. Now, you know, a lot of people can't do that. They think, oh, I can't, I can't go fishing. I got, to, I got to, you know, do this and do that and study and whatever. Well, we preached sermons to each other in the fishing boat and in the deer stand. And that's where most of the stuff that wound up in his books came from. And some of it was at my expense. <laughs> but he would get in his truck and go, and go fishing. And he'd always be calling me. And he said, oh, let's go fishing today. I said, Charles, I can't go fishing. Why not? Well, I got a, I, I'm a pastor of a church. and I got, I got to do TV. I got to pastor. I got to preach. I got to teaching the Bible school, and blah, blah, blah. He said, oh, you can do that next week. 
Well, he was, he had the art of rest, and he was learning how to do this. And one day, young, young pastor, I got exhausted. I was just burnt out. I was laying on the floor in front of the fireplace, and I was hollering out to God, Oh, God, heal me, heal me, Jesus. And Jeannie said, What's the matter with you? I said, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. I said, If Charles calls and wants me to go fishing, tell him I'm exhausted. And so he did call. And she said, He can't come to the phone. He's exhausted. And so I was praying, and I asked the Lord to heal me. And the Lord spoke to me and said, there's nothing to heal you of. He said, you're not sick. There's nothing wrong with you. You did this to yourself. Well, the first thing I had to do was repent. And then I had to learn. You know, Charles wasn't being unspiritual. And like my minister friend told me, he said, I feel guilty if I'm not doing something. You have to learn to rest. I know some of you are thinking, I can't sit still longer than five minutes. Well, television has done that to you, mostly. Mm-hmm. We, we've gotten our brains all screwed up with, you know, all the sitcoms and uh, all of the commercials. And if somebody could invent a, a gizmo that you could hit, hook to your TV that could cut out all the commercials... Now, you'd have, to, you'd have a lot of court battles because all these advertisers and people would sue the socks off of you, and they'd try to destroy your little gizmo. But if you could cut that out, you could save your life. There's, and Jeannie timed it one time that we were watching this movie on television. There were more commercials than there was movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, they're trying to pay uh, for what it cost them to run the movie. Yeah, but you're the one that's suffering from it. And you know your attention span. I had a friend that taught high school. Actually, we both graduated together. Actually, our birthdays were the same day. We'd celebrate our birthdays. Well, he became a teacher. And he said, you know, uh, the attention span of our young people today, now this was whew, 30 years ago, he said is about eight minutes. Eight minutes. That's about as long as people can concentrate. Uh, because television came into existence in the 50s. Well, I didn't see a television set until I was 10 years old. So I didn't know, I didn't know the problem with the, the television. We listened to radio. We had a big old radio set up on a, you know, it was a piece of furniture. And you had to use your imagination. And a lot of these radio programs, um, you had to use your imagination I think Jeannie's favorite radio program was Let's Pretend. And I, I can't sing the jingle, but then uh, they had Gunsmoke, they had Captain Marvel, um, Fibber McGee and Molly. Then when television came along, they had Father Knows Best, My Three Sons, yeah. Leave It to Beaver. These were all family programs. And it was ministering to people and it, it, it held the family together. Today, oh, Lord, it's, it's, it's sad. I, I get grieved sometimes. There's nothing to watch. And so, you know, we have DVDs, and we, <laughs> or we have VTN, and we can watch that. That's what we watch most of the time. So rest was included in the law of Moses. Failure to rest is sin, and a failure to trust God as your source. So that puts a little teeth into it. Failure to enter into God's rest is disobedience and robs you of God's blessing. So just remember this when you feel like you're not able to rest. You're actually in disobedience. Because that means you don't believe that God can take care of the situation that you're facing. You're worried about it. You're trying to fix it in your own power, your own will. Uh, you're anxious, you're worried, and that's, that's fear. Um, lack of rest, now this is a natural thing, lack of rest or sleep leads, and doctors will tell you this, to all kinds of health problems, sickness, disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, stroke heart disease, and depression. 
And I have seen a number of my minister friends get caught in that trap. They're guilty if they're not doing something. Well, you can say amen or oh me. Okay. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. Make a note of that that the uh, Pastor Michelle said the loudest amen. (laughs) So you all need to pray for her. But she does a lot of good things in, in her hyperability, but she's going to have to learn because the older you get, uh, it begins to show up uh, in, in your, your body. Now, there's a ditch on both sides of every road, so you have to be very wise and cautious that you don't slip over into inactivity and sloppiness and laziness because if you, if you slip over in that, you'll wind up um, in the ditch on that side of the road. But on the other side... You just don't always have to be running. <laughs> I know when I was actively pastoring for 35 years, I think the thing that challenged me the most is I couldn't solve everybody's problems. That's what I really wanted to do. If I couldn't solve somebody's problem, and I would book myself up counseling appointments after counseling appointment after counseling appointment to try and resolve people's problems and I couldn't I couldn't do it and so I would go home frustrated because I thought I had failed I thought I had failed the people because I could not resolve their problem but there were a lot of times I knew exactly what the problem was and how to resolve it and I would tell them and they wouldn't do it they'd go off and do just the opposite so you know I I had to realize one day I cannot help everybody because you get into a Messiah complex if you're not careful, thinking that you're the solution to everybody's problem. And you can't fix everybody's problem. But it's hard when you see them fall on their face or have problems, and you think, if they'd only listen to me and hear what the Spirit of God says, uh, they wouldn't have had these problems. Okay, let's close with this. How do you enter into the rest? Because in Hebrews chapter 4, you go back there and read it with me. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. Say that out loud. Entering into his rest. So you have to enter into it. Remember, the art of rest is developing a skill. Enter into the rest. I remember we were talking about this earlier uh, when Jenny and I and several of our minister friends, the, the Copelands, the Burks, the Duplantises, we'd all, every July after the Believers, Southwest Believers Convention, we'd all go on a motorcycle trip and we all had motorcycles and we'd ride up to Kenneth's house in Steamboat Springs and we'd start there and we'd go Rocky Mountains, Smoky Mountains, Glacier Park, and it'd just take two weeks and just really. <clears throat> enjoy ourselves. Well, uh, I never wanted to miss but one Sunday. So I would come in on a Monday. We'd ride until Saturday, and then I'd go home. And he asked me one day, he said, why, do, why, do, why are you always leaving? Why do you have to leave and get back to that church? I said, because I'm a pastor. And I said, a pastor is an under-shepherd, and I'm taking care of sheep, and I'm going to be held accountable for how I watch for their souls. Well, now, he didn't understand that. He's never been a pastor. And he said, you don't have to be back to that church every Sunday. He said, they don't need you there every Sunday. That church can take care of itself. I said, not according to the Bible. (laughs) I'm watching for people's souls. And I got to be there. So I'd, I'd only miss one Sunday. For 35 years, I only missed two Sundays a year. Two Sundays a year. I preached Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and all the Bible classes that we taught, daily television, and all. Two Sundays a year. 52 weeks out of the year, I only missed two. I, I preached 50 times during the year. After 35 years. And I'm still here. (laughs) Hallelujah. But I learned to rest. 
I couldn't. I didn't go in the office every day. I would rest. And sometimes I had to battle with the, the guilt. You know, you need to be up there at the office. Sometimes I would just go up there and sit behind my desk. I didn't have anything to do, but I was waiting for the phone to ring <laughs> or my secretary to say there's somebody out in the office that needs to see you or so-and-so's on the telephone. Sometimes I'd just sit there and, and wait. I just felt like I had to be on the property. I had to drive around and see if everything was okay, make sure that they were watering the grass and make sure that, you know, the shrubs weren't dying, make sure the light bulbs were changed. Sound familiar, uh, Pastor Philip? Yeah. And <clears throat> make sure everything's okay. But I learned to delegate, and, and I learned to, um, like Reagan told about Gorbachev, he said, um, you learn to delegate, but you follow up. You trust, but you verify. And so you, you, you have to learn these things. And I learned them. But I had a lot of uh, pastor friends that were just going by me, just like the hair. I mean, they were tearing up Jack, as they say. But they're not around anymore. They're either in heaven or in a home. <laughs> They're not running the race anymore because they didn't take care of their body and their mind. And there's other people that are dependent uh, on you and need you to stay healthy and whole and sound and mobile. Okay. He said they didn't enter into rest. Listen to the rest of it. And any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I've sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, all the works were finished from the foundation of the world." Do you realize that you are not having to go back? You're not having, you didn't have to build the foundations. You didn't, you didn't have to create the earth. God created it, and he gave it to you. It says he, he gave the earth to the children of, of men. But he said, I have finished the foundations. God finished his work. And you and I have to rely on the fact that he finished it. That he Healing is a finished work. Deliverance is a finished work. Salvation is a finished work. All you have to believe it. You just have to enter into the rest by believing. Now, then he goes in verse 4. For he spake in a certain place the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, say, enter into his rest. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not because of unbelief. Yeah. Now I made a list here. How to enter in the rest. Now here's what we've just read. Number one, you have to mix the word with faith. In other words, when you see it in the word and you've got the scriptures now in Hebrews and Genesis and Exodus, you see what God said about rest. So what you have to do is you mix the word with your faith. You have to take it by faith. You have to enter into it. And you may have to pray and say, Lord, help me to enter into your rest. Amen. So you mix the word with faith. Number two, he that believes enters into rest. The works were finished. So you're not, you're, not, you're not building the kingdom of God in the, in the fact that you're having to uh, build the kingdom and make the kingdom. Uh, we had a guest, um, oh, I guess a few months ago now, uh, that was at uh, a TV studio doing some TV work, and we had lunch prepared in the conference room. We were sitting there at lunch, and we got to talking about the rapture because, I mean, we were so excited. There's more people preaching on the rapture and the second coming today than ever before. 
And I tell you what, I was so excited, and we were all sitting there, about four or five of us. And all of a sudden, this guy, he was the husband of the lady that was there, he just slapped his hands down on the table and said, you people talking about the rapture all the time. He said, that's the most, now these were his words, that's the most immature, self-centered doctrine I've ever heard. It's not about the rapture. It's not about escaping. It's about building the kingdom. Well, I realized then he was into kingdom now, which there's nothing wrong with building the kingdom and being involved in the culture and everything. What's wrong with the kingdom now doctrine is that they believe that only after we have taken over all the aspects of the government, politics, entertainment, and athletics, when we've invaded every man's area and we take it over, then and only then can Jesus return. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus will set up his own kingdom. So I have no problem. I'm reading a couple of books right now because I'm going to have them as guests on Arkansas Live. One of them believes in total kingdom now, taking over the world, taking over the government, getting involved in every man's land, etc. And the other one believes in just preaching the gospel. Don't worry about everything else. It'll all pan out. They believe in pan theology. Pan, it'll all pan out. Well, there's a middle road, middle of the ground here. There's a balance. But this guy said it's immature and self-centered. I thought, I wish I had thought fast enough to quote Paul, who had talked about the rapture of the church in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4. I wish I'd have thought, because when Paul talked about the rapture, he said, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. It's not, it's not self-centered or immature. It's Bible. Jesus is coming soon. <laughs> uh, you know, when Jesse went to heaven, wrote a book called Close Encounters of the God Kind, and when he got through with his little tour of heaven and he got ready to leave, Jesus said to him, he told him, Jesse wondered why he had this experience, and Jesus told him, he said, Jesse, tell my people, that I am coming soon. And Jesse said, oh, Lord, they all, they know that. He said, no, they don't. Hallelujah. So in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be changed. Incorruptible. Now, I don't know about the little sweet pea nightgowns with the balloon going up like this, you know, like artists have portrayed us all going up in the rapture. I don't. I don't necessarily know that we're going to, you know, go up like little Casper the Friendly Ghost, but the Bible says we'll be changed. One second we'll be here, the next second we'll be with him in the sky. We'll be changed. We'll be going up. Hallelujah. So, he that believes enters into the rest. The works were finished from the foundation. All you have to do is believe it. You mix your faith with the Word. Oh my goodness, have I gone over time? I heard somebody say, yeah, you're over time, quit. No, no, no. I want to close with, I want to close, yeah. Go to Acts 20, 24. This is the Apostle Paul. Then I will close with this. He said in, in verse 24, that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus. <laughs> you don't want to get up for the judgment seat of Christ and the throne and all that and walk in there and say, Lord, I struggled through... I had a lot of opposition, and I didn't do so well, and uh, I, I need to lay down. No. He, Paul said, I'm going to finish my course with joy. Notice, finish my course. Say it out loud. Finish my course. And, and last, 2 Timothy, he got to that place. 2 Timothy. And chapter 4. 
and verse 6 through 8. I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have what? Finished my course. I have kept the faith. So our job is to finish our course. What has God called us to do? Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me at that day, and not to me only, but all them that love his appearing. Hallelujah. Now you know how to enter into rest. Now when you go home tonight, you go to bed, you get ready to go to sleep, you just pray, Lord, I am using my faith to go to sleep tonight. Amen. Jeannie and I pray that God, he said he, he gives his beloved sweet sleep. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So you lay down and you say, Lord, I ask you for sweet sleep tonight. Help me not to snore and to, and to be rested and to be rested and energized when I wake up in the morning. Amen? Did y'all get anything out of this? Yes, sir. It's going to help you enter into rest.